This is Care Less, Do More. Welcome back to every other Tuesday's episode of Care Less, Do More. This is your host, Michelle Parker. This week, I sat down with Mark Abma, an old friend, mountain sensei, and longtime professional skier still at it, filming segments and loving life. We had a super fun conversation reminiscing on old times, shared some wild stories, and got to learn a few of Abma's tricks of the trade. A fascinating human, always dabbling in new things, ventures, and projects. Mark is a student of the mountains and never takes a day spent in them for granted. Before we dive into this episode, I'd like to thank our sponsors, starting out with Anon Optics. Anon makes the highest quality goggles with the absolute best lens changing system. Mark my word, so quick and easy with the Magnatech technology that also seamlessly fits with their MFI face masks. Big fan of wearing helmets, and when you stick to the same brand of helmets and goggles, the fit ensures that you won't have the gaps and your forehead will stay warm. And on optics are my choice of eyewear, specifically the M4S goggle. So many colorways and designs to choose from, and different fits. Check out anonoptics.com for more details. Quick shout out to Peak Skis, founded by Bodie Miller, for supporting the show. As a direct-to-consumer company, Peak is committed to knowing and serving our customers through direct interaction. There's no middlemen. If you call us, we answer the phone and we talk about skiing. We want you to have more fun and to be able to ski better, more easily. It's been really fun lately hearing the feedback on these skis as they're getting out into the world and people are absolutely loving them. Today, I'm highlighting the Peak 104 SC as that's my favorite pair of Peak skis. And I've been putting them through the tests lately with all the snow we've been receiving here in Tahoe. It's kind of my quiver killer. I use them on slope and I also have a pair mounted up for backcountry. I love the playfulness of the ski and it's become my one ski quiver. If you like a slightly stiffer tail and all around ski, hit the 104s. Um, I've got the SC, which is the side country version. It's a little bit more lightweight, and I find them to be a bit more playful. Loving them. Check them out. Mark Abma, born in Langley, BC, not exactly a town where skiers are born, has been a professional skier for 23 years. His career started out as a freestyle skier, and he got in with the Japanese magazines to do paid photo shoots. They eventually invited him to go to Japan for his first big air comp when he was 19 years old. He competed against Eric Pollard, Mike Nick, and others. I think Mike Nick was on snowblades back then. He was a snowblader. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, Since then, he's competed in slopestyle, skier cross, half pipe, and it eventually led him to film with Poor Boys Productions and Matchstick Productions for countless years, winning Best Male Performance, Best Natural Air, and Best Powder at the Powder Video Awards. These days, Abma is still filming with Matchstick Productions and keeps himself busy with side projects from rebuilding old snowcats to amazing and inspiring unconventional and funky construction projects. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. That was the best intro ever. (laughs) You helped me on the last bit. I really like the unconventional and funky (laughs) construction projects, which we'll dive into later. But I kind of, we were talking before the podcast started and you were giving me the rundown on where it all started for you, living in Langley. Yeah, kind of a, a random spot to grow up with regards to being a skier because there were ski areas nearby, but my family didn't ski. I didn't grow up with a family of skiers. Um, but thankfully, my dad, he was a welder. He built greenhouses. And so one of his clients had four children. My parents had four children. So they invited us for a ski trip up to Mount Washington on Vancouver Island. And we stayed up there for four or five days. 
And that truly just unlocked a new part of my brain where all of a sudden I could ski through the forest way faster than I could run. You know, it just unlocked this huge playground for me. And so we did that for the next four years where we go on a ski trip each year. And then eventually that led to uh, my parents finding out about a local ski club at Sasquatch Mountain, or what was called Hemlock Valley then. And so my sisters got into racing, and they had just started a freestyle program there, or a mogul program. And I was one of five or six other kids that were starting off the program. And um, it's actually kind of interesting to note, because the guy that was starting the program, he asked me why I wanted to get into it. And I told him that I wanted to get into a Warren Miller movie one day. No way. Yeah. And I totally forgotten about that until he had mentioned it to me maybe five years ago. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting how manifestation can, you know, come around for me. That would have been 10 years later. That's amazing. Yeah. And I was really lucky with that freestyle program because my coach, who he could ski moguls, but he was, he was more or less uh, an ex-racer. So he was teaching us how to ski moguls and hit jumps, which was awesome. But he also taught us how to ski groomers and how to ski um, with a stance that wasn't just with your feet glued together. And so he taught us how to carve a ski and how to, you know, angulate our bodies in ways that uh, mogul skiers don't always get taught. And I'm super thankful for Emil Van Dunn for helping me out with that. Big shout out. Yeah. I'd give him an air horn if I was on the bomb (laughs) hole. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You said something earlier about how for your family, like skiing felt like something you guys could do together. Yeah. So through those ski trips, quite often our family would just ski together and just mob around the hill together. And my parents quickly realized that it was the one thing that our family would be active together with you know we could go camping together but you're not necessarily being active whereas with skiing you're on the hill from nine to three and you're playing as a family and they realized just how special that was and so and i see it now you know just like the the bonding that comes along with families that ski together it really creates uh, a really special memory for a child and, uh, and it's really cool seeing kids that grow up skiing with their parents and then, you know, as they age, seeing dad and son or dad and daughter, whatever it may be, still skiing together. I mean, you get to do that with your parents. Yeah. And like skiing you with your mom yesterday, right? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's so rich. It's so special. Like really, like I get goosebumps thinking about, you know, how pumped your mom was to give us the tour around the hill. You that know? was pretty cool. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah. That. She took us on some sick runs and some nice bump runs, too. She took Kinda us on gnar, like, the actually. gnarliest run. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, yep. I was like, we should go down the saddle the easy way. She's like, I was thinking about going up to hide it. And she knows all the names of every run. Yeah. <laughs> it's so amazing. How old is your mom? She's 72. Wow. 73 in not that long. That's so inspiring. Yeah. yeah. That's what I want to be when I'm older. Oh, you will be. Like so passionate going, yeah. she's addicted. Yeah. <laughs> Do your parents still ski? No. So they moved to California in 98. Mm-hmm. And they're now in the central coast. And it's kind of a mish to get to a ski hill. Totally. So they've just embraced 
living in a sunny spot and not skiing at all. They actually, they don't miss the snow one bit. They're just so happy to be in the sun now. Yeah, fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. And then when we were riding the chair the other day, you were talking about how back in the day, freestyle skiing, there wasn't necessarily landings. Like people were just doing tricks off the moguls and it was super loose. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the era where we did have jumps. I wasn't quite from the spontaneous air okay. era, yeah. which I still think we need to bring back. If anybody's looking to create a cool contest, we should do that. You know, spontaneous airs, crazy recoveries, it's all wow factor, really. And you got points for recovery. Yeah, yeah, totally. It would have been so wild, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the hot dog era right there. The next gen of courses was, you would have a jump, but we didn't have nice chopped landings like what they have now. Right. So it was the art of, if it was a flat course, you'd land on the backside of a mogul so you could carry your speed. But if it was a steep course, you'd land on the face of a mogul <laughs> to try to slow yourself down so you wouldn't blow out. That is so gnarly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine <laughs> It was so scary. Here we go. Where am I going right? to land? <laughs> oh, my gosh. But I think it was really good because you really, you would determine where you need to land in order just to survive. And so you would focus on landing within like a three foot landing spot to cater to what you were trying to achieve with that course. Right. So I think it really taught me how to like try to snipe landings and transitions and whatnot. Yeah, you're a bit of a tranny finder. Sometimes. Yeah, good at that. I've seen it in action. (laughs) Are we allowed to say tranny? (laughs) You know what? Uh, I think in context, I've actually spoken to some amazing friends about this. Okay. Um, who have transitioned, and and I think it depends on who you're asking. Yeah. But when we're referring to the transition of a jump, just to be clear. Yeah, I've been um, wondering about that. Actually. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it depends on who you ask. Okay. My, my friends that I've asked uh, have said that they that doesn't bother them, but okay. I, I, that is open to discussion. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thanks. I love having that conversation. Actually. Well, yeah, because it was just a very open term. Yeah. And now that term's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Change a little bit. Which I think is good. Language changes. Yes, totally. It needs to. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I'm I'm all for change. It's really interesting seeing how many people are anti-change, whether that's like within our community, about development or Mm -hmm. all this stuff. It's it's fascinating to, I'd like to understand more what people are so attached to what is happening now, but I think it's humans Well, it's neural pathways, really. If you break it down, we just... There you go, you scientist. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a scientist, yeah. It's neural pathways. <laughs> but it is really interesting how we just get locked into these pathways because that's, that's what we know. That's right. how we communicate and that's how we eat. But I think, isn't it right, that when you are adapting and changing and whether that's like I've listened to podcasts about sport, for example, if you're doing the same exact thing all the time, you're not going to develop new skills necessarily. Mm-hmm. But if you mix it up and your body's doing these different things, you yeah. build different neuropathways yep. and that thus makes you evolve even yes. more. Yes. So change is good. Totally. Yeah. Hence, I just borrowed a guitar from Aaron because mm-hmm. I think that's going to be one of the funnest ways to keep creating new neural pathways. Yeah. Yeah. When I get on an instrument, like I remember the first time I sang while playing my ukulele. And oh, that yeah. was such a trip to use like your hands to make the music. Yeah, and then I remember singing. when you were doing that. Yeah, I'm sorry yeah. if you had to live through my practice <laughs> sessions. Yeah, you totally did. I'd bring it to Whistler and Living yeah, House. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
<laughs> but yeah. you know how to sing. Well, I try. I went to singing camp. You went to singing lessons, yeah. Yeah, well, singing camp. Camp, that's it right. It was a nude uh, <laughs> hot springs <laughs> with angels. That's right, in. yeah, yeah. That's and amazing. the first thing they made us do was sing a cappella in front of like 40 strangers. Oh my gosh. Not naked. We were clothed at yeah, that point. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been really worse if it was naked for sure. But um, yeah, didn't nail that. I was laughing. I was in a fit of laughter. Could not concentrate. Forgot my favorite song. They had to guide me through it, but it was a good, like my whole goal with it was to be able to play at a campfire. Like that was why I wanted to take singing totally. lessons and, and get the confidence to do that, which I still trip out on. That Aaron. would scare me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's intimidating, but it's beautiful when you can yeah. break through and you can, like the first like two seconds of my playing, yeah. I'm like so nervous and shaking and then. Totally. I've been going through the same thing with just trying to become a better public speaker. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to my childhood. I used to get super nervous just doing a presentation in front of my class. And I feel like I'm finally getting to a point now where I can speak in front of people mm -hmm. and remain pretty calm. Like, like you, you know, it's the first little bit. Yeah. And then once you get through that, then I'm starting to find my groove now, which has been a big thing for me. Big time. Yeah. It's such an interesting, like, human thing though yeah but it's such a skill set I find because yeah I remember my first speech was in fifth grade and I had to address the entire school yeah and I was shaking and my paper was shaking in yeah. my hands and I could hardly hold it together yeah and then I also remember an, an event where I spoke at a town hall about switching to renewable energy and it was oh, like all these wow. politicians and again I was shaking like this yeah yeah totally but the more I do it now yeah. I'm like anytime someone asks I'm like yes I'll do it yes, and then I'm like totally. oh what did I get myself into right totally <laughs> but practice is better yeah yeah, yeah I started using breath before mm. yeah because I heard helps. a stat where if you just take six deep breaths that that will relax your nervous system so now I start doing this box breath where you breathe in for five, hold for five, exhale for five, hold for five. And I'll just do that for a little bit before I know it. I need to get up there and, and start speaking. Right. And that's been super helpful because I think that's all it is. Your nervous system is just starting to get all fired up yeah. before you get up there. Yeah. And uh, so that's my, my little hack if anybody else is struggling with like being that. nervous up there. Have you ever done that on top of a mountain? If you're like nervous, do you get nervous when you're dropping in? Oh yeah, every time. Yeah, right? It's yeah, like the cameras I are on. every time. You do, and you find it yeah. helps you. Oh yeah. I ditched that so long ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ditch breathing. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with breathing. <laughs> well, I was like standing on top of the mountain. You were probably there and I was alone. Yeah. And I was like, okay, just do this breathing. Like, just do like this <laughs> deep breaths. And then my heart rate was like increasing. And I was like, well, this isn't working. Fuck that. <laughs> no, I was taught that from uh, a guy named John Coleman. You might have met him at the Airtex. Yeah. yeah, he's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And so I started working with him back in 04. And wow. No kidding. Yeah. And I, I, I don't work with him to this day, although I'd love to, and I probably should. Um, but he kind of hung out with me for a little bit for a couple years and taught me breathing. And he introduced me to slacklining. And he's, he noticed that if I was starting to lose my balance, I would hold my breath. Mm. So when he saw me do that, he'd be like, yo, breathe. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I just, I think he was the one that actually started teach me to do that and uh and so now incorporate that with when i'm on top of a line visualizing yeah and uh 
just kind of, you know, going through exactly where you're going to make a turn and if you're going to do a trick, you know, like actually doing that motion with my body so that when it comes time, it's just you're in. You're in the zone. You've already yeah, done it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The visualizing I do a lot every time. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I find that to be such an oh, amazing yeah. tool. I'll get back into the breathing. You're inspiring me. It's good. Yeah. Have you ever done Wim Hof? No. Oh my gosh. It's such a game changer. Okay. It's crazy. He's got an amazing app and oh, no kidding. he's got a bunch of different exercises um, for cold plunging, exercising, breathing, and uh, it's been so cool to see what my body can do. Like I'm holding my breath. If I'm doing it consistently for a couple weeks, I can hold my breath for up to six minutes now, mm -hmm. which I would have never thought I could do that. Because I think when I started, I was, I don't know, maybe a little over a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. And then quite quickly, it was like two and a half, three, three and a half, four, four and a half, five. I'm like, wow, this is so cool to see how quickly your body can adjust and adapt. Yeah. yeah. I'm super curious, actually. I've taken a few freediving courses. Yeah, I would imagine it's quite similar. I would imagine it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that one is really to calm your nervous system and yes, like your heart rate. Yes, totally. And yeah. Yeah. And then and he walks you through that whole process while you're holding your breath, just on focused on relaxing your body. Yeah. And... And it's, yeah, as you know from freediving, that's, that's kind of everything, right? Totally. Yeah. The, yeah, you can stay calm and resist yeah. the urge to breathe. When you're underwater, it's helpful. <laughs> yeah. You know, John was at this Arcteryx thing, and it was an athlete summit, and he had us do the breath holding work. Oh, yeah. Which, so maybe that is Wim Hof, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but it was to hold your breath. Yeah. And one of the athletes, no joke, made it to like over 11 minutes on his first try. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. He had just come from the Himalayas. So he was no crediting way. it with the high altitude and like wow. just being able to be so in existence with less oxygen. Yeah. I was Trippy. blown away. Like his like veins on his neck were like Whoa. so intense. I was like, oh my gosh, maybe he should stop. <laughs> yeah. But it was really impressive. And it's cool too because Wim Hof is also attributed to increasing your immune system. Wow. Like yeah. actually holding your breath for an extended period Doing of time. Doing the whole breath exercise and leading into the, the breath hold. The breath yeah. hold is the, kind of the aftermath. Yeah. It's really because he leads you through. You can choose between, I believe it's like 35, 45, or 60 breaths. Mm -hmm. And then you do the breath hold. And then you can just choose how many cycles you want to do. But it's doing that whole process of oxygenating your body. and. Uh, mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder... If you did it without the breath hold, do you still get the same benefits? I would imagine so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think that breath hold is kind of what's sending out oxygen to the, the ends of your body. And I think it's all that oxygen getting into your blood and your blood needs oxygen so that it can absorb nutrients and just be able right. to function at a high level. Because you're decreasing the carbon dioxide in your body yes, exactly. to get it to be pure yeah. oxygen. And so a lot of people, while they do the breath hold, they'll start doing push-ups and start doing these exercises and they'll find they can do double to triple the amount. No kidding. Yeah. So it kind of gives you superhuman powers. Yeah. And it's just breathing. And breath has taught me that once before where I went and did a breath work workshop. That was a little bit different. But, um, you know, it can bring you to near hallucinogenic state of mind, mm -hmm. which was quite trippy for me too because I have experimented with hallucinogenics and to all of a sudden experience that same effect or to nearly beyond that 
just through my own breath. Wow. Yeah. That's when I was like, wow, how is like, how are we not talking about this more now? Yeah. And I guess we are now because this was probably back in 2005. But um, so, yeah, I think breath just kind of keeps popping up for me and just showing just how underutilized it is. Like quite often we just don't even think about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's so powerful for us. That's fascinating. Yeah. I love that. We're getting all Mark Abma's secrets. Oh. <laughs> You're like Benjamin Button, though. <laughs> we need these. <laughs> oh, yeah. Help the people out. Well, I'm just being in your sauna this morning. It's like, oh, my goodness, I've forgotten. You know, just how, just being in a sauna where you don't, I had a that song playing. Yeah. Um, but I'm not looking at my phone at all, totally. you know? Like, just to be in stillness for a little bit Yeah. is so critical these days. Yeah. So forgotten. It's like next to impossible to do it now, you know. Yeah. Like we're always, or I'm always, surrounding myself with with distractions. Yeah, I'm like a busy person. I can't. Yeah, really me too, chill. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And John actually gave us an exercise one day. Him and Chad Chomlak, um, to go for thirty minutes. You can bring your phone, but only for a timer. Yeah. And there's no rules. You're yeah. not breath. You're not doing breath work. Yeah, you're yeah. not repeating a mantra. Yeah. And to basically just to sit for thirty yeah, minutes. Yeah, totally. And and be. Yeah. And I sat during sunset and didn't touch my phone and 30 minutes went by in a flash. I never once got bored. I wow. found just observing all these different things around me, the birds, the trees, yeah. the beauty of nature. And yeah. like that really hit me different because I've tried a lot of meditation and I do sometimes like mm -hmm. get on a meditation roll where I'm into yeah. it, but I've always struggled with like completely being at peace. And I yeah. found without the homework or the like guidelines yep. that my mind would actually come to peace much quicker. Oh yeah. And it was this beautiful like realization, but yeah, the sauna, I call it my think tank totally, or not, right? like you're just there. Well, that's it. I think it's becoming maybe a bit of a lost art just to allow yourself to not think, because I think that's when your creative process can actually start coming up, up with its own ideas. Yeah. You know, otherwise we're always being told um, what to think because we're always looking at somebody else's ideas. Right. Yeah. And you need that pause to get creative. That's it. It's yeah. interesting, like pitching projects as a skier or whatever. Like I find you wrap the project, then you're going to the premieres and then like, yeah. it's like your sponsors want those projects in the springtime yeah. and you're like, I'm in it. I'm still working on this project. Yeah, yeah. And I have a bunch on the back burner now cause yeah. I've been thinking about them so much, but I need that pause for creativity yeah. to like get inspired again and yeah. find that motivation to, I find biking is also a good time for me to do that. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Just when you're biking uphill, Yeah. you know, you're just kind of in your groove and you're not really thinking about anything. And I find that's sometimes when I have these epiphanies. Yeah, I've yeah. always said like active meditation for me. Yeah, like ski touring is great as well. Totally. Yeah. Or cross country skiing. Or cross country you skiing. You kind of dogged on me for that. <laughs> you were like, I'm more of a downhill skier. I was like, we can scratch that itch later. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got skate skis. I go a couple it's times a year. It's such good, like, it really is. Low impact workout. Yeah. But I need that. Like, that's my sanity. I need yep. some cardio or something. Oh I need to be gosh. outside. Even if I'm shoveling my roof, that checks the box. Yep. Yeah. 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 I didn't realize how much I needed in my life until um, I started biking uphill. Mm -hmm. And I had to get back home from, like, just a 45-minute loop just behind the house in Pemby. And I'd get back to the house, and I would have so much more energy. And I was like, what just happened there? 
You know, like, why am I not feeling exhausted? Why am I feeling like I could go to the gym right now? You know, like I'm just happier, way more energetic. Yeah. And, uh, and that's when you start re- learning about all the, the chemical reactions that come along with the quote unquote runner's high, right? The endorphins. Endorphins, dopamine, neopinephrine, all these great things that You're we need. You're such a scientist. <laughs> I really like this. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just mind blowing that I think a lot of, well, we actually do need that. Oh, yeah. And these days, there's so many people that are struggling with mental health. And I understand that when you have mental health, there can be a variety of different causes. And that it's really hard to motivate yourself to go out and do exercise. But I really do believe that it could help a lot of people just yeah. by just getting outside and raising your heart rate to whatever you can, you know, and like working up incrementally. Yeah. Yeah. And to counter that too, I think that we bypass rest. Yes. Often. I think that's, that's what I've found myself when I deal with mental health issues. I'm like, whoa, I am not slowing down. I'm running hot and I need Mm -hmm. to like chill. And I have so much joy in those moments of doing a bunch of stuff, but I get overwhelmed. Oh yeah. And so for me, I've learned to redefine productivity. Like sometimes the most productive thing I can do is sit on the couch or take a sauna or take a nap. I'm terrible napper, but like these things regenerate me in a different way and like just to slow it down. Like rest is so important. Yeah. That's actually why I just started rocking this aura ring just a few weeks ago, just Mm -hmm. because I want to start monitoring that, Mm -hmm. you know, like, especially for us being athletes, rest is essential with our recovery. Yeah. And, um, so I just want to learn how to sleep better, really. Yeah. Yeah. I ran the whoop for the mm. last few years, actually. And uh, it was really interesting. <laughs> it, I love data. Like, yeah. I totally love Strava yeah. and all of these things. To Like, I can do without them totally fine. I'm mm-hmm. not, like, an addicted junkie to it. But I also, like, really appreciate having it so that I can learn about myself. But ultimately, what I took away, I was like, I need to drink more water, eat more vegetables, don't eat late in the day and like go to bed at a reasonable hour. And I was like, damn it, these are all things that I know. (laughs) (laughs) But it did, it's like a bit of a babysitter, like it tells you. Yep. And fascinating how much alcohol affects it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Yeah, and or eating late. Yep. And and then I was just reading, like we all know that caffeine will keep you up, but apparently caffeine will stay in your system for 12 hours. Mm. So if you're trying to go to bed at 10 o'clock, or 10 p.m., then you want to make sure you have your last coffee at 10 a.m. Mm. And um, it's interesting just how long just a little bit of caffeine will stay in your system, but that little bit is still actually quite a lot for, for our bodies. Yeah. And it can really limit our ability to get into REM. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've become a bit of a coffee addict lately. Mm. I'm, like, trying to keep it. <laughs> like how many coffees? Uh, two, three if I'm, like, really bonking that day right and I try to cut myself off at like three o'clock because I feel like if I do anything later than that that's my cutoff time too then I'm not sleeping but now that I'm just kind of learning this latest data you know not really allowing myself to sleep until maybe 3 4 a.m like you were staying up no I oh, I'm not the 3 but PM based cutoff. off yeah. that 12 hour cycle of caffeine staying in our system to right? get into REM sleep yeah. yeah yeah that I've been learning a lot more about the neurology side of things yeah 
uh, helping my dad who has Parkinson's. He's had Parkinson's for maybe seven years. And then now in January was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia, quite the combination. Um, but they were saying that like basically with Parkinson's, you don't go into REM sleep, rapid eye movement. And then with the drugs that you take for Parkinson's, you uh, have really lucid dreams. So that causes sleepwalking, which is like really scary. You're acting out your dreams. Um, but it's just fascinating how our brains work. Yeah. And going back to that, like that's like your neuropathways are being blocked. Mm -hmm. And then I'm curious, like I know there's ways and different things to help open those up a bit. Um, I've heard creatine is a good thing, but you had a counter. Oh, creatine <laughs> makes you lose hair. You yeah. could lose your hair. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> call me vain, <laughs> but I'm a little attached to my hair. Yeah. And uh, so I guess I'll find another source of stimulating yeah. my neural pathways. Guitar. Yeah, guitar, cold water is super good for that. Okay, you kind of have me inspired to go for a cold dip in Lake Tahoe. Oh, yeah. Like maybe together and you could tell me the Wim Hof method. <laughs> Are you down? Yeah, sure. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> we talked about it the other day. We'll preheat the sauna. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a must. But yeah. that's just recovery too. Like water also... Now we're going down more paths, but uh, you've heard of like negative ions? Yes. Yeah, right? And that's yeah. like water when it crashes in, into yep. each other, like waves, waterfalls. Big time. I always think about snow doing the similar thing probably, Agreed. but it gives you this positive energy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my son, I installed a bunch of uh, Himalayan salt bricks all the way around. I saw that. That was yeah. beautiful. And uh, kind of with that intention, I'm not sure how much it actually works, but it looks nice. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Himalayan salt bricks have negative ions yeah yeah mm -hmm. i love this yes i feel like i need to fact check all this but i think we're pretty smart so <laughs> smart enough we'll let it go <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love that path that we just walked down um and bringing it back like okay so you're 19 you're not living in whistler are you or at that point were you i was part-timer because mm -hmm. i was mogul skiing which kind of uh took me traveling around during the winter and then i'd come back to whistler in the spring and throw on some twin tips instead of my mogul skis and then start trying to learn all these tricks that I was watching in Poor Boys and MSP and everything else mm -hmm. and shoot for these Japanese ski magazines and Japanese videos, which was hilarious. That's amazing. What was your in there? Did they find you? Uh, yeah, they found, actually, well, I was on the provincial mogul team. And so they kind of latched onto our team maybe four or five of us, because we were all hawking in the park. And so I think one thing led to another. They started off with a pair of goggles, and then it became an outerwear sponsor, and then it was boots binding skis, and then the next thing you know, I was doing the thing, traveling to Japan, and finally getting to experience that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At a young age. Yeah, I got in pretty early. And that was like back in the heyday of like skiing being very trendy in Japan. Yeah, it was pretty hot back then. I think that's when Japan, I forget what the sales of skis were back in the day, but it was beyond what the worldwide sale of skis are right no now, kidding. apparently. Whoa. Yeah. That's a trip. Yeah. Lots of ski resorts in Japan, of course, and uh, everybody was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating because we went to Japan together for that Originate episode. Yep. And it was really interesting walking through like basically ghost towns. Yes. Like yeah, skiing they was went on the through, decline. Yeah, they went through the massive 
um, boom of skiing and it almost grew, grew too fast for itself. And yeah, it is super trippy going back and seeing all these abandoned ski resorts. Yeah, like I remember going into the lift shack at the top and there was like still cigarette butts in the ashtray and it was totally abandoned, like this pretty well perfectly good lift. Yeah. And this whole system, we were skiing in the backcountry and then we ended up in that tiny town and we're like, whoa, there's cars, like are people here? Like it was such a trip. And then remember they they like invited us in and we had some fun experiences with food. (laughs) We kind of did a lot over there. As we do. Yeah. Yep. I like you're a great travel partner because you're down for anything. Yeah, we've eaten some weird foods in our time. <laughs> the yeah. worst, I think, were the wasps. The wasps, yeah. Or, or there the... was that time with Heimer where we're eating these weird, they're almost like, oh. a, <laughs> like a beak from a chicken or something, or is it feet from a chicken? We had Something's... the game, I bet you yeah, won't yeah. eat this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our game was just called, I bet you won't eat this. Exactly. And basically, if someone said that to you, you had to eat whatever it was, and yes. they would hand you said object. Yes. Terrible if you were hungover. And that is you well. ate some wild stuff. As I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like hot dogs out of the vending machine, or like the squid that was like really hard. It was like bony. Oh, maybe that? that's what I was thinking of that looked yeah. like a beak to a chicken, but it was yeah. some part of a squid. That was weird. Yeah. I don't, we don't know. Mystery. <laughs> I, I kind of respect it. They don't let any parts go to waste there. Totally. That was <laughs> Sell such it a good 7-Eleven. <laughs> and then I went back to Japan on my most recent trip, and this dude, this Japanese guy came up to me, and he was like, I bet you won't eat this. And he handed Shut me some up. wild food. Yeah. And I, like, <laughs> I was in a conference room like about to go public speaking and uh, with a translator, which was a total trip. Okay. I gave like so many slideshows with a translator. Yeah. And you're like, are, are these jokes landing? Like you really simplify what you're saying because you don't really know what the reaction is. But yeah, I had to eat it in front of everyone. And I was thinking of you guys so much. I was like, oh, I think I might have sent you a photo. I don't know. Either way, Japan's an amazing place. Yes. Yeah. And we, uh, we went there and we went to this tiny resort called Seki Onsen mm-hmm. and it was run by a wife and a husband and the wife would sell the tickets at the base and the yeah. husband was bumping chairs. He had this beautiful Norwegian wool sweater on and then she would go up and cook at mid mountain. I don't even know how many employees they had, like not that many. Not many. Well, I feel like there's only two or three chairlifts there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But this beautiful resort, I do recommend going there. And I'm saying it because our friend went back and retraced his steps this year. And the owner said that it really did help with through COVID and just get people to the resort. And that video, like, he was so psyched on it. Well, I believe that was the oldest ski resort in Japan, wasn't it? It was over 400 years old. (laughs) 400? Okay, I take that. That's a that fact was the check. best stat ever. <laughs> That's where skiing originated. I'm pretty sure they were skiing on pieces of bamboo oh 400 my years. Gosh. Okay, it was over a hundred years old, right? Something like that. <laughs> that was too oh, much. 400. <laughs> oh, thanks for that. <laughs> Just deadpan straight face i do that sometimes i'm so confident with the best (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) so you start going to japan and you enter this big air mike nicks on snowblades pollard is throwing the sickest misty fives yeah pollard has always had incredible style and i really i was a mogul skier i didn't really have much for tricks i think i had a 720 
and I had a switch backflip. I'm not sure if I was grabbing yet at that point. And uh, so anyhow, Paul was rolling off these beautiful misty fives, but it was just really deep, slushy snow. I think I, he was kind of getting hung up in the landing. And so with my switch back, he's, it just kind of made it easy for me to ski out and I'm winning that contest. Definitely not out of style points, but... Uh, <laughs> That's like in the 2000s, right? Like early Yeah, 2000s. that was 99. 99. Yeah. Great season here at Palisades. Oh, that was the best. Yeah. Yeah. That movie came out of it in 1999. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I moved to Worcester in 98, 99. Okay. So kind of got to experience the same mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. And But it was really cool from, from that event because first off, I got to ski alongside Pollard and meet Mike, Nick and whatnot, but also won some money. Awesome. Yeah. So I went back home and I bought myself a mountain bike, a tent and a sleeping bag. <laughs> Those are solid purchases. Yeah, and actually I kept that tent and sleeping bag for, I might even still have that tent, actually. Tents last forever. Yeah, and uh, I passed that bike along to a buddy, so everything's still, sleeping bag might be, might not be around anymore, but it was definitely a really good investment for my lifestyle. Yeah, That I was I trying that. to pursue at that point. So cool. And that was your introduction to, like, yeah, potential Warren <clears throat> Miller segment. Yeah, um, Warren Miller, that was a really interesting one because uh, I got invited to go as soon as I got on K2 mm -hmm. and we were going to go to Davos, Switzerland with the K2 team. Mm -hmm. And just prior to that, I was in Park City doing <clears throat> a game of, um, what do you call that? It was some contest in Park City. Yeah. At Stan and Tanner's place. Probably smoked some. <clears throat> and I left my passport at his house. Oh, goodness. Without me remembering until I was in Seattle, needing to fly to Switzerland the no. next day. And all of a sudden, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was like, oh, my gosh. I've, I definitely left my passport. And uh, Pep was living with Tanner. I was like, Pep, I think I left my jean jacket hanging up. And I think my passport's inside of it. Can you check? He's like, yeah, your passport's here. And I was like, God, I'm such an idiot. So he actually drove down and delivered it to Seattle, but it got lost along the way. So I missed my flight to Switzerland. Mm. And so then I'd go to Seattle, downtown Seattle, go to the embassy, try to get a new passport. Meanwhile, I'm trying to communicate with the airline. Um, long story short, eventually I got on the plane. They found my passport. It like fall into a crack in the plane. Super weird thing. No way. Yeah. And then eventually made it to, uh, to Switzerland and we went to Davos. And I remember walking through Davos and I was like, I have no idea where I'm going. You don't have a phone or anything back then. Like there's no Google or yeah. nothing. Paper you know? maps. Yeah. Basically, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I met up with Tom Day there. Epic. Yeah. And, and his family. And skied with Brian Savard and Jessica. She owns Points North. Sobelski Quinn. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And got to rally with them. And, Amazing. Uh, and I was so blown away when I got there because there's like all these incredible lines all around us, but everybody was skiing groomers. Right. Yeah. So we just kind of hosed her down. <laughs> and, uh, and it definitely it was the perfect precursor to going to Bella Coola with MSP, which came up. Maybe two weeks after that trip. Okay, so your first film trip was with <clears throat> Warren Miller? Um, well, 
my that wasn't my very first film trip. Yeah. Yeah, but my first trip with War Miller was the same year that I did Yearbook with MSP. Okay. Yeah. And was Yearbook your first MSP segment? Um, that was my second. Okay. Yeah, I did Focus the year before, but I was basically just a jibber. I was hitting some jumps. Right. And some rails. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then the next year, I kind of got thrown into the lion's den slash kind of my dream um, opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you perform? I performed okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I really lucked out because I ended up there with McConkie, Hugo, and Ingrid. And um, it was kind of interesting because Matchstick was there for six weeks. They had three different crews coming in for two weeks at a time. And I ended up being there with the middle crew, the middle two weeks. And uh, the first two weeks, they got skunked. Our crew, we ended up having three really good days. And thankfully, McConkie and Hugo were there, and they had skied Bellacula lots before. Mm. And so they just knew exactly where to go and when. So when it's, we had good light, good snow, we just like ting, 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 just started chipping them off. Yeah. And... Um, and everybody had, well, actually, Hugo crashed his first run. Massive tomahawk that you might remember from back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I think I do. Yeah, yeah, it was violent. So yeah. he ended up having to go home early and just left Hugo, I mean, uh, McConkie, Ingrid, and I. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that trip was the ultimate mind blower. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that truly unlocked my brain to um, what mountains could offer and how I could interact with them. When did you do that rock ride? That was there. I thought so. Yeah. It just dawned on me. Yeah. So there was like a lot of very memorable lines that came from that trip that obviously in the moment I had no idea that it would become memorable. Totally. You know, I was just like, oh, this looks fun. The rock ride looked fun to you? <laughs> well, actually at that point, <laughs> that like, I was actually... Up Guinness Book of Records? Because that might be a <laughs> world record. <laughs> I was actually very relieved when we got there because so many of the lines in Bella Coola were blind rollovers. Mm. Which You're like, for I can see the whole rock. <laughs> yeah, I could see the whole rock. I'm like, oh, this looks mellow. And uh, so I didn't psych myself out at all. No way. Yeah. So I was like, oh, just like scrub a turn here, air off the bottom, call it good. And, uh, and that's how it went. <laughs> that's amazing. That rock ride is legendary. Yeah, that was a wild moment for sure. Like McConkie really liked rock rides too. He hey? did. Yeah. yeah. He was a big proponent for rock rides, as you know, from Squaw. Yeah. Yeah. Palisades. Yeah. Palisades, yeah. thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah. Did he like give you the nudge to do that one? I, I don't know. You know, my whole thing on that trip was I was the greenhorn. Mm -hmm. And so. You and Ingrid, that was her first year too. Yeah, totally. And I was usually just taking the last pick. You know, I'd let McConkie or Hugo, Hugo or Ingrid, like, you guys take your pick and I'll, I'll figure something out. Right. And so I was just kind of the guy just picking up the scraps. Yeah. And which I think was really good for me just because it forced me to kind of just look a little bit further right or left. Right. And uh, Not the obvious snow line. You're like, oh, that rock looks Yeah, okay. yeah, totally. <laughs> so uh, I'm pretty sure um, well, McConkie had been to that zone before. Mm -hmm. So I think he knew what he wanted to ride. Right. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, that looks good. 
that. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss, and it really does help in those first couple of years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ingrid said the same thing about filming for yearbook. She 100%. was like, I just didn't, like, I was filming. It was a dream come true. Yeah, I wasn't scared of avalanches. Yeah. I wasn't really scared of tomahawking down a massive mountainside. Yeah. Yeah, I was nervous at the top, but um, I didn't have... I hadn't really seen or experienced right. the our side of crashing. Yeah. Yeah. We were kind of talking about that a little bit in some earlier conversations about how, like, yeah, my mindset has changed so much, and I'm definitely super pro-longevity. But then there's this part of me. It's like you have the longevity person on your yeah. right shoulder, and then there's, like, the 17-year-old me on my left shoulder. And I'm like, that seems like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So I don't well, there really... are those days, though. Oh, yeah. You know when it lines up? Yeah. Yep. But it's just being very selective with those days. Yeah. 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 What's your key? Because you've been filming with Matchstick for so many years, and you're just as happy as ever doing yeah. that, and you still produce amazing segments. Like your your footage from last year, the GoPros of those like beautiful, mm. bubbly, spiny lines. Yeah. Like I was so hyped. I was like, yes, Adma. <laughs> right. But what's your, what's your, like, how has your mindset changed with that? Well, I try not to put myself into situations where if I fall, I'm going to die. Yeah. You know, I just, crashing is always going to happen or can always happen. Um, but I really try to try to find lines that actually inspire me and look fun to me and don't look like they're just going to be a good shot. Mm. And I'm not just up there scaring myself, you yeah. know, like I'm really just trying to imagine would I ski this if there wasn't a camera here? And all those lines that we were so lucky to score last year were definitely lines that I would have skied any opportunity that I could have had. Yeah. Yeah. They looked fun. Oh, incredibly fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I just don't really put as much pressure on myself anymore either. Yep. You I've know? noticed that, which is great for the performance. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, oh, no pressure. I can do what I want. It's just fun. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I'm not chomping at the bit as much anymore, which I think is really good for overall happiness and wellness and keeping our nervous systems a little bit more relaxed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I just try to surround myself that with people that are fun to ski with. Yeah. You know, that helps so much. Big time. Yeah. So last year, the last couple of years I've been skiing with the blondes, which yes. is super fun. And, uh, and Logan's always keen to get out there and, you know, he's the guy that's <clears throat> lining up kind of the gnar. Yeah. But he's such a the, great like, super gnar. Super gnar. Yeah. Yeah. That one crazy line from last year. Mind blowing. Yeah. When he was coming, he, there was that one rollover section halfway down in that line, and I had no idea where he's going. You know, I couldn't really see the route through there. Like the rock. The yes. rock. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Even watching it, I was like, where is he going? Right? Oh my gosh. No, so it. wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's been really amazing seeing the blondes ski at such a high level. It's been really, really fun to watch. So cool. And they're just, they maintain such a great vibe and they're best friends. Yeah. And they support each other so much. It's beautiful. And it really is beautiful to be around. Yeah. yeah. I remember meeting them in Revelstoke 
for the very first time I met them and I was with Gaffney and I was there with Angel and Elise and I saw this group of girls ripping around. Yeah. And I kind of just started like skiing with them. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, this looks fun. Right? And I had like such an amazing day. And then yeah. that's when I was like, oh, the blondes. Okay. They have a beer sponsor and like really old shitty ass sleds, but yeah. they're like making it happen and making oh, these yeah. incredible edits. I was yeah. so inspired. Yeah. It was that new generation of like female energy that I like really wanted my entire career. Like so yeah. cool to see the support and just the friendship. And it was awesome. Big, big fan of them. Totally. And yeah. it's been really great to see them be able to all get back together this year. Yeah. Um, Cause Janelle and Emily, they both had a couple injuries over the last couple of years. Right. And so their group kind of got a little bit broken up. Mm-hmm. Which kind of worked out well for me because I kind of got to fill in as the third blonde sometimes. You are blonde. That <laughs> <Right>? works. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then this year, all of them are healthy and they're back out there. And, wow. Yeah. I can't wait. Doing what they do best. Yep. Yeah. Which is just having an awesome time. It truly is. Yeah. Yeah. I so. saw them on the glacier. I think it was last year, maybe two years ago. And we were filming separate from them and then rode up to them. And one of them had their airbag was pulled. And like <laughs> total gong shows. Oh, yeah. I was like, yep, this is the energy I remember and love. That's it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's too so. good. Yeah. And I think it's just in their nature to mm-hmm. be like that. It's so natural for them. Yeah. Yeah. Just goofy. Totally. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I haven't really got to ski with them that much other than that day at Rebel Oh, you would love it. You should definitely running. make that happen. I begged to go ski with them and got shut yeah. down. Oh, yeah, ladies. Yeah, not not by them. Okay. Yeah, no. They were like really psyched. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Thanks for the defense, though. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that vibe would come from them. Um, no. I would beg for it. And then yeah. Yeah, they were like, I don't really see how that fits together. I'm like, well. We're all girls. How does it not? I, I'll dye my hair blonde to do <laughs> <Right>? it. <laughs> yeah, the blondes is getting bigger. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and did you start filming with Poor Boys first? Yes. Yeah. Poor Boys would have been, oh my gosh. Actually, you know what? It would have been Poor Boys and TGR that same spring of... I'm not sure if that's 2000 or 2001. Ready, fire, aim in 2003. That Poor Boys movie was 2003. That was my first full segment. Okay. But yeah. you were filming with them before. Yeah, I was the guy in the credits. Yeah, I had two years <laughs> like this. Right? Yeah. I had one time that I filmed with a company unnamed and went to the movie theater with my friends like, okay, we're going to watch my first ski segment. And it wasn't in the movie. That yeah. Yeah. But I remember Cody kind of saying the same thing about his first experience. Really? Yeah. I think it's happened to some people. Yeah. Yeah. So for all y'all going to the movie theater, think you got a segment. It's all good. It good happens. things will come. <laughs> yeah. It just fires you up. Use it for fuel <laughs> totally for your fire. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Ready Fire In, that was my first full segment. And that was largely attributed to living in the house um, with JP, Julian. And that was all thanks to Anthony Bornowski. No way. He totally took me under his wing. And there was an extra bed in his room. So he he's like, yo, come move in the house. In Black Tusk? <clears throat> no, this was in Alpine. Okay. Yeah. Dave Levin was living there. And Dan Kaminsky. And, uh, and I was coaching and working at Comar Sports. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to become a professional skier. And quite quickly, Anthony recognized that I just wasn't really skiing that much. 
And he's like, yo, I'll pay your rent. You pay me back after you coach for High North this summer and work less and ski more. And wow. anytime, and then it was so amazing. Whether it was Anthony that was out of town or Julian or JP, if anybody left town, they'd basically lend me their sled. No way. Yeah. Those guys. Super. They taught me how to snowmobile. Yeah. So they taught me how to sled, taught me how to build a jump, taught me where to go, yeah. all the different zones, and and loaned me their gear. Yeah. Yeah. And and then Anthony just kind of like took me around to different photo shoots and really just kind of steered me in the right direction. That's so cool. Yeah. So yeah. I have eternal thanks for, for that, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I always think about that. Like, how do you get into snowmobiling? It's hard. Yes. I bought my first sled when I was 17. It was a 2003 RMK purple sled. Yeah. Those things up in Whistler, like thinking about what the tools we have now. Yeah. And like, I brought that thing up there and was like, okay, here we go. And it was JP and Julian and Anthony that -hmm. took me out for my first years too. Amazing what they put up with. Yeah. (laughs) My first sled was a 98 RMK and I rolled into town thinking I was... (laughs) Pretty hot shit, you know? I was like, yeah, I got a sled on my trailer. <laughs> this old trail sled uh, drives like a Cadillac. <laughs> and uh, it was named the Franken sled. It was literally the whole hood was duct tape, zap strap, tie wire. Amazing. And the track was probably like half inch paddles. Yeah. And my buddy who's a pro snowboarder, he's like, bro, that's not going to fly. You're not going to go anywhere with that thing. <laughs> yeah. So that dream was short lived. No way. Yeah. Oh, did you bought it and everything? Oh, yeah. How much you buy it for? Uh, I got it off of Dan Treadway, which is probably the first mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably paid a thousand, two thousand bucks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it backfired like mad. <laughs> so as soon as you start trying to do a climb, about halfway at the climb, it's like bang, 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 bang. And then you lose all your momentum and have to turn back down. So it really couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah classic that's amazing i just had this flashback to like doubling with you one time and i had green pants and my pants like started melting into your sled <laughs> i don't think that happens anymore that, that was a doesn't. weird incident <laughs> i think that was at monashies yeah sleds were they were definitely not great back then no they used to catch on fire yeah 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 <sighs> glad i haven't done that <laughs> it still happens. Poor Ingrid, that yeah. happened to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We told that story on this podcast. If you oh, haven't yeah. listened to it, it's a good one. <laughs> Emma. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had like the trippiest experience with Anthony actually when I was learning to sled. And it was like I was filming with poor boys and it was New Year's Day. And we went from the Tusk out to Seagram's and on these old sleds. And we were up there. And like, it was New Year's Day, so we had it all to ourselves. And we weren't filming. We were going to film on the second. Mm. And we weren't hungover. We were like dialed in. We're like, let's go shred powder. And we like sessioned this cliff for like all day, had lunch, kept sessioning it, like so much fun. And then when we went to go back out, there was no tracks. Like it had been snowing all day, no tracks. So we get on our old 2003 sleds and we start like trying to find like how to get back home. And it's dumping, like a snowstorm I've never seen before. And eventually we find, we didn't find the cat track. We're like stuck. We get my sled out. He gets stuck, gets his sled out. Mine's stuck. And like, we're just losing daylight. Like it's getting dark and then it gets dark. And eventually I'm like, yo, I think we need to leave your sled. Like his sled was so stuck and we still Mm -hmm. hadn't found the cat track. So close to home, out his back door. I think I'm 18 at this point. 
And then we finally like just decide to take one sled and eventually that sled gets stuck. Still haven't found the cat track. It's pitch black. Like we're talking midnight, dumping so hard. Blind rollovers, like we're like, where are we? And then I'm like, I think we have to walk out. Like we have to leave the sleds and walk out. And he's like, yeah, like there's no way we're expending so much energy trying to dig these things out. So we like put little ties on trees like above the sleds where they are. And then we're like walking around aimlessly. And finally you like boot pack onto the cat track, which is covered in pow. And we're like, okay. And we like ski and walk out of Seagram's from like pretty high out. Crazy. Yeah, it was wild. And then at the bottom, it's pouring rain. And at this point, it's like two, three in the morning yeah that is bonkers yeah and we yeah. have nothing on us like zero safety no, knowledge no, like of course not yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course not why would you do that well and back like, in the day we were very bare bones bare bones oh, yeah. yeah we didn't know anything we didn't really have gore-tex back then thinking? either right? oh definitely i was insulated, no, insulated. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i remember there's like a moment where like i would lay down and be like it would be so nice just to sleep out here oh yeah and he'd be like no we have to like keep going and then like the next uphill he'd like lay down and i'd be like anthony we have to get no out of here. way yeah we were like talking and like our phones died we had no service his dad's freaking out his girlfriend spencer o'brien at the oh, time yeah. was freaking out and finally we made it home at like four in the morning like we almost slept out there and his dad like wakes up and cooks us like food no and we're just way. freezing cold Amazing. and we're like don't even have our sleds like we walked back <laughs> yeah and i'm like damn i like thought this was your back door and you knew it super well and we got stuck out there <laughs> that was like a pretty harrowing experience then had to go back up the next day and find our sleds which was yeah we weren't filming we nailed the cliff though like we knew exactly where we wanted to go wow yeah <laughs> do you have the any trials and tribulations oh my gosh yeah <laughs> Any gnarly sled experiences? Yeah. Is that what you're going to ask? Yeah. I might have to ponder on that one. You can um, think about it. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm knock on wood. Like, obviously, I've been stuck in bad places. Yeah. And I've had to heli my sled out. Mm. But nothing super gnarly, like no crevasses, nothing super bad. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That is good. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know there. what? <clears throat> I mean, things like that obviously happen sometimes. But uh, I'm kind of a point A, point B kind of guy. Yeah, you know where you're going. Yeah, well, I don't always know where I'm going, but I'm not shit hooking. I'm not hitting cliffs. You know, I'm just kind of, I just kind of stay on this straight and narrow and just kind of use my sled as a tool. And I think it's quite often when you're like playing around on them when things can happen sometimes, you know? Yeah. 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 I think some of my wildest doubles were with you. Oh, like yeah. really good ones. They're fun when they're wild. Oh yeah. <laughs> they're just getting wilder now. Really? Yeah. Cause I feel like the sleds are just getting so much more powerful. Yeah. You're just, your skis are in the air for longer and you're just wheeling and, and you can just go higher. Yeah, that's true. And it's, uh, it's just, they're crazy now. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas yeah. back in the day, you just, you could only go so far because your sleds were just kind of underpowered and yeah. you just get stuck most of the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just thought of a, a wild experience with you. All right. What do you got? It's like one of the more wild experiences <laughs> I've had. When the helicopter. Oh my gosh. That was a wild one. Yeah. Do tell. Yes. I'd love to. Um, so one year we were doing Days of My Youth with Matchstick 
And I had this idea where I would fly a geodesic dome into the back country. <laughs> brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. <laughs> it was brilliant. And Seeing that thing take off. <laughs> that was the weirdest thing ever. So to explain the backstory, I had just purchased a, a geodesic dome. And so I set it up down in the valley in the Pemberton Meadows. And I had spoken about this with the, uh, with the helicopter company because I'd seen a photo of it online of somebody flying a geodesic dome, and I think it was down in the Antarctic because they're using these domes for research facilities. And so I gave them all the specs, the weight and whatnot, and they're like, oh, yeah, we can pick it up and fly it. So, like, it's a huge dome. Yeah, this is a 24-foot diameter dome that's 14 feet tall. And so I built the whole frame, and then I had the skin, the insulation, the stove, the table, everything else, kind of long line from the center of it. So the helicopter came in and picked it up from three points. And this is when I really understood just how strong geodesic domes are. Mm. I was expecting that when the dome got picked up, it might kind of twist or move a little bit just with getting picked up by three points. And as soon as the helicopter picked it up, this thing just stayed in its form, completely rigid and then got flown all the way up into the backcountry. <laughs> so, Such a sick idea. Great idea. <laughs> stove was a little small. So, uh, the stove was a little small. It was very small. Yeah. It was a sailboat stove. But it was beautiful. That was designed for up to 2,000 square feet. Yeah. Huh. Faulty design. Yeah. Didn't I was freezing in there. It's so so cold. cold. I was not sleeping at all. <clears throat> so anyhow, we ended up having a really great trip up there. And at the end of the trip, I had to take the dome down. So I had to take the skin off, take the stove apart, blah, blah, blah. And we started slinging loads out with the helicopter. And the helicopter was coming back in to pick up another load. And as he was coming in, his tail rotor struck a small tree, but the tree was just big enough that it, when the tail rotor hit it, it caused the tail rotor to hit the main rotor because I think the tail rotor probably exploded a little bit yeah, oh or yeah, just threw it off its rotation. Everywhere. Yeah. So all of a sudden the tail rotor hit the main rotor because they work in conjunction with each other. And all of a sudden that noise of tail rotor breaking into fragments and you could hear the metal inside of the helicopter, probably like the, the drive shaft or whatever, starting to twist. And you, Jimmy or James and I, <clears throat> all of a sudden, I, like that was the first time I ever ran for my life. Yeah, you were pretty smart with that, I might add. <laughs> like, I remember, there's like shrapnel flying everywhere. Oh, yeah. Like pieces of the blades yeah. flying everywhere. That was crazy. This is a B3, so it's the lightest weight helicopter. Yeah. It's basically, I think it's carbon fiber on top of foam, like a surfboard almost. Yes. And I remember looking at the thing and being like, oh my gosh, like what is going on right mm -hmm. now? And I, and I was like looking at all of you to see what everyone's reaction was and yeah. like, Abma was like 300 yards, like you were so far away, just like post holing through the snow, running away. And then I look at Murray 
And Murray's just like laying on the ground with his heads over his hands over his eyes, like not watching, just like, you're done. Like that was a dumb reaction. (laughs) And then Heimer is just standing. I'm in the geodesic dome. Yeah, so So I couldn't really run. Yeah, yeah. I felt like I mean, you could. It was huge holes. You could totally run. Yeah. But Heimer's just standing there, hands on hips, staring at the thing. (laughs) And I was like, Yep, I'm doing that. And I just like stood there and we watched it. And like full fish tailing, like the thing is like, I was like, yeah. this thing's going to like catch an edge basically in Tomahawk, like in the movies. Yeah. I got to know which way to react, but it didn't. He, he stuck the landing. Yeah. He, he did an amazing job with put into the snow as soon as he could. But even when he got into the snow, the blade's still spinning, you know, it's still making all these gnarly noises and throwing shrapnel from the blade. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, a wild, wild experience for sure. So wild. I'm so nervous around helicopters mm-hmm. to this day from that. Yeah, especially when you're flying around trees. Yeah. 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 Agreed. <laughs> but those pilots, they're generally speaking, are all like, they're kind of, they're flying ninjas. Yeah. Yeah. And that pilot was amazing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It was so good. I felt really bad for him. Me too. Yeah. He didn't fly because of PST, PTSD after that. Yeah. 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 <sighs> Heavy. But that trip was amazing. Yes. <laughs> it yep. was a really good trip. And it's interesting just how many days we've continued to sled in that same zone. Right. You know, or just over the ridge from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't been back. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, those were like the heydays when I was going to Whistler every single yeah. year. Yeah. And it was amazing. I loved it so much. Okay. But then I started going to other zones and okay. finding new zones and like, yeah. 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 But I wish I had a logbook or that map that Hoji has, the mysterious map. I've tried to find it from him. I don't know if he's keeping secrets or what, but there's a map out there of all of our zones. Mm, that would be a really great map to have. Yeah, it'd be great. I feel like Kai Peterson's got a good one as well. Oh, yeah. He, he seems to be pretty does. dialed. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But you should really come back because uh, we've definitely expanded. expanded and we've just become way more dialed with that whole where to go when thing. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I would Hence love we ended up in that you. you know, that beautiful bubbly, spiny yeah. fun land. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So cool. Yeah, the terrain's amazing up there. I I definitely I'm excited. We're in Tahoe right now and Abma gets to film here with Matchstick for the next yeah, couple of weeks. Finally. Yeah, it's amazing. We're working on separate projects, but it's kind of a dream to have yeah. you here. Like kinda of wanna go jump ship and film with you guys. Just for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'll call Who Dusty. are you skiing with? Um, myself. <laughs> <laughs> Come on over, Parker. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Lucy Sackbauer will come and join me. Oh, nice. Like, but she's a nurse, so she's like oh, really yeah. handling so many things at all. Okay. She's working a night shift, and then she's going to sleep a little and drive out here around the 2nd or 3rd or 4th or something. Of March? Yeah. Whoa, so you got time yeah. to shred yeah. with us. I do. All right. Legs are feeling good. Nice. These jet engines are ready to go. <laughs> I could tell. I couldn't keep up with you the other day. Really? Yesterday. Oh, you lost a shoe, though. I did. <laughs> <laughs> my Meanwhile, skis were definitely not waxed i was like i get to show abma around this resort so in my mind you're just following me down and i was doing all the i was like this side hit and that side hit i was having so much fun and i got to the bottom and turned around and i was like yeah you're not you're not even anywhere you're nowhere <laughs> that was amazing what'd you think of that resort i love palisades yeah it's yeah pretty cool, it's huh? just incredibly fun terrain yeah yeah with hits all over the place yeah and it's just 
beautiful geology here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's similar, I think, to Whistler. Do you think so or no? I mean, Whistler's got really big mountains and huge vertical relief. But when you get into the film zones, which I know you'll be by foot, but a lot of our sled access zones are, it's quite similar. Yes. Like you can ski off anything. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys just have a different color and shape rock here, which mm. just gives it a really cool vibe. Yep. Yeah. That's true. And the trees are really spaced here, which is really nice. Amazing tree skiing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've never actually skied here during the winter. So, and I've just kind of heard about these prolific, you know, Tahoe storms and seeing them online and in film and whatnot. So I'm pretty excited. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah. That that storm actually comes through and I get to experience it for the first time. I know. I was like, <laughs> we bought a snowblower the other day and I was yeah. like, wow. <laughs> Right. really want to knock on wood for that that could be the cursor of this next storm cycle but we're not gonna go there i think we're good and that thing it's looking promising yeah 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 i'm excited for you to get to experience it taking a moment to thank one of our sponsors arcteryx arcteryx has built something beautiful and now they're just refining it this company is pushing the envelope on what you can do to close the loop on sustainability with their rebird program if you haven't heard about this you got to check it out you can send in your unused gear and they will assess it and then potentially resell it and send you a gift card. And I think almost more importantly, their gear is just built to last. I've been doing a ton of storm riding lately and there's no better way to test your gear than being out there in the elements day after day, especially with this atmospheric river that is currently hitting Lake Tahoe, two in a row. Um, I've been completely dry and comfortable this entire time. It's the highest performing gear and it's made to last you for plenty of adventures, stormy pow days or wherever your jacket may take you. Lastly, I'd like to thank Palisades, my home resort here in Lake Tahoe. And while I may be biased, it is certainly one of the very best ski resorts in all of the world. I grew up riding this mountain and it truly has my heart. The terrain is world-class and you can see so many lines from the chairlift making the entertainment value high. And it's a great way to scope where you want to go on your way down. Practice that. That's a skill set. Palisades just opened up a new lift called the Base to Base Gondola, which connects the Alpine Base and the Palisades Base by a 16-minute ride, making them the largest icon resort in all of North America. And judging by the size of the snowbanks currently, as I drive through Palisades, um, I'm pretty sure we're setting records this season. And I just got to give a huge shout out to the operations team at Palisades for keeping the resort open during this hectic winter. It's been amazing to watch them operate. So after all of these years, like what keeps you in the game? You know, it's really just come back to a very simple love for the sport Mm -hmm. and just recognizing um, the happiness that it gives me. Um, I think I'm actually just in love with mountains, which sounds super cheesy, but... Um, I think mountains just offer a place of serenity and peace and adventure and explore exploration. Mm-hmm. It really does offer a lot, kind of depending on your mood of the day or what the day is giving you. And um, and I've I really realized this back in the day, after I'd blown both my ACLs. It was after my second ACL that I got back on snow again, and I was just sliding down. I think it was my first run back on skis and I'm cruising down Blackcomb and I think it had snowed maybe five centimeters, but I was 
just cruising along this very silky five centimeters. And at that moment, I realized that just the essence of just sliding on this beautiful, soft snow brings me so much happiness. Mm. And, uh, and I think, I don't know, I think a lot of people are looking for happiness and, and I found it through skiing. And, uh, and these days I just continue to find more and more love for skiing every year. Yeah. Just because it really, it really does offer a lot. My love is growing every year too. Yeah. When I, when I take a step back and recognize all those, like injuries have really yeah. taught me to appreciate those small things. And yeah. then like, I don't know, like I would trade any cliff I've ever hit for a day on the hill with my mom and dad. Yes, Like totally. that brings me so much fulfillment and joy. Exactly. And like you, I've just kind of found this whole new passion for skiing resorts again. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and that's kind of like, been really cool to experience just that simplest uh simple side of skiing yeah um just skiing groomers again you know yeah and now discovering the slack country off the resort and just yeah realizing that um i've got a whole new world of exploration just off the ski hill again i don't need to use a snowmobile every day to go explore and uh, and I think the community that exists up in the ski resort is is really beautiful as well. You know, it's every day you're, more. you know, meeting up with somebody new and going on their little adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love following people at their ski resorts that oh, they know. Yeah. It's like so fun. I know I'll try to keep, keep up, up next but... time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too good. Like yeah. following my mom on that run. Yes, no doubt. So cool. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is your little secret pocket, all right? I still go. can't believe she's skiing that at 72. Yeah. That's really incredible. Yeah, that was a steep run. It was. Yeah. yeah. She's got pretty darn good technical ability. In fact, her number one ski coach is probably Johnny Mosley. Amazing. King of the dinner. So world. there's a video that just got released on Johnny Mosley recently. Mm. Um, it's him training in dirt moguls. What? Yeah, uh, we'll have to check it out after. It's kind of cool because um, my first mogul coach, so Emil was my one coach that had some racing background. My other coach was Jeff. And Jeff worked at World Mogul. Um, and Johnny Mosley's coach worked at the, or owned that camp, rather. And so he got some of the inside scoop as to what Johnny was doing for training. And I remember him showing me this video way back in the day, mid-90s, I believe it was, of him. They had dug out a mogul course in the dirt. And it shows him hopping down from dirt pile to dirt pile or dirt step to dirt step. And it shows his progression. And at first, it looks like he's hopping down. By the end, it looks like he's skiing down a mogul run. No way. It is so wild. Whoa. Yeah. I think that was probably one of the most badass training videos I've ever seen. That's hardcore. It really is. Should we start hitting cliffs <laughs> and just dirt? <laughs> I used to as a kid, for sure. Wow, really? Oh, yeah. I just go run and jump off little cliffs in the dirt, for sure. Yeah, when you were invincible. I yeah, used exactly, to do this right? Too. Yeah, like right. <laughs> running down the hiking trail or going off trail. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, just throwing huge back scratchers. <laughs> totally. Right? I still do. There's some good scree runs around here. Okay. That you can just start running down and like pop off of, and it's super yeah. soft when you land, and you're like, wow, it's just like skiing. When was the last time you did a back scratcher? On my skis? Yeah. 
I have, uh, <laughs> it's funny, one of my neighbors actually, he's like, you gotta do a back scratcher up in Alaska. It would like make me so happy. And I've never done a back scratcher. It seems like a very committing trick. Yeah, it's kind of coming back, but like in a new school manner. Yeah. Yeah. I have not, just a straight air back scratcher. When was your last one? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm thinking tomorrow might be the day. Sick. Yeah. Yes. And I like how the shifty's kind of the new twister. I love the shifty. Yeah. I've, that's one year I remember Gaffney was like, yo, could you like not shifty off of all the cliffs? I was like, oh, <laughs> is it every shot? He's like, yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll try not to. <laughs> but it's just so fun. They really are, yeah. Yeah. But I'm getting back into grabbing my skis more. Nice. Yeah. What grab? Um, I pretty well do critical or mute, but I don't love crossing my skis. I don't know why. I mm. never really got into the whole like crossing it up. Yeah. Um, I think it looks cool. JPL Claire made it look really good. Yeah. But I just always like that maybe a tiny cross, like Crispin yeah, yeah. Chellers. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, critical or mute. Nice. Seems where my hand gravitates to the most. I've been trying mutes this winter. Mm-hmm. And they feel so awkward. Really? Yeah, I've totally lost it. Weird. I know. We can't lose our tricks, Abma. <laughs> we can't be out here. We gotta. I should get have been telling jump. myself that ten years ago. <laughs> I think we're gonna build a dirt jump. <laughs> we'll build it, <laughs> and then we'll go training this summer. <laughs> like screw the airbag and all the new technology. Let's right? build a dirt. Take jump. it back to the dirt. <laughs> yeah. Too good. Um, okay. Enough about skiing. Yeah. It's never enough about skiing, but. Um, one of my favorite trips with you was when we got to take Tucker out oh, yeah. on uh, the Hurley. Yes. And so this was like, what, in 1963? 69. Or... 69. Damn it, I was off on the year. <laughs> but a snowcat. Yep. That you rebuilt. Yeah, I'd been sitting around for 20 to 25 years. And uh, wow. so I approached Dave Richards because I saw it sitting around for a long time. And uh, I'd actually been bugging him for a number of years. And then finally I was like, hey man, so what is it really gonna take? How much is it gonna cost? How much time will it take? And uh, he's like, oh, a couple grand and maybe a week? No way. I was like, well, let's do it. I think he was right on the cost. It maybe only cost a couple few grand, but I ended up putting in a, a couple, couple months. <laughs> yeah, it was like yeah. two or three grand. Yeah. Yeah, but it ended up taking two months. And um, that winter, any moment when it wasn't good filming, I was driving back to Summerland from Whistler, which is a five-hour drive, sleeping on my buddy's floor and just working in the shop every day. And just at that point, I already told some people I was building a snowcat. I had uh, told Smith Optics. No way, yeah. I coordinated a whole shoot up at Braylorn Adventure Lodge around this snowcat. And eventually... You're committed. So committed. <laughs> yeah, there was like 16 people going to Braylorn. They no had rented way. sleds. It no was a way. full thing. Yeah. And so we had to rebuild the tracks and tune the engine. And a lot of it was actually just around the tracks just because they hadn't moved in a long time. And it's mm. a metal track. And there's bearings on every little pivot point of this track. And so the day came when I had to leave for Braylorn. And Dave was like, well, we should probably go take it for a test ride. And I was like, bro, I actually, I gotta go, man. We probably should take it for a test drive. You're totally right, but I gotta go. 
So we loaded it up on the trailer, ripped Braylorn, and then it was so amazing because there was actually a few locals from Summerland that totally helped us out through the whole process, or whenever they could. And uh, a couple of those guys actually hopped in a truck. Thankfully, they were sledders. Oh my gosh. So they just kind of treated it as a bit of an adventure themselves. And they mobbed out to Braylorn as well. So that first day, we went out sled skiing, and those guys took the tucker for a test ride and took it up to uh, the old ski hill up there. Wow. And I remember getting back to the lodge, and I saw Tuk Tuk's tracks going into the wild. <laughs> it's like, no <laughs> way. Tuk goes. Right. Wow. And I was following the tracks. I was like, holy crap, this is getting, the snow's getting deeper, the terrain's getting steeper, and it's still going. At one point, the trenches from the cat were like two feet deep. Wow. Yeah, full four by mode. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and so eventually I made it up to the cabin, and there it was in all its glory, and it totally, yeah, Worked. powered its way all the way up there. And so after that, we hopped in the snowcat and started making our way across the Hurley, which I believe is 70 kilometers or so, which is kind of a committing drive for an old snowcat. Very much so. Yeah, it doesn't go fast. It's a three-speed, and it's a, a six-cylinder engine. It's actually it's kind of nice and quiet, it's, and it kind of reminds me of driving like an old Vita bus. You know, you're going mm. nowhere fast, but you're just appreciating the ride. You've got heat in there. You've got some music. I'd have my coffee or my tea, and I really just kind of enjoyed the experience of driving that thing along, but... At the same time, I knew that this cat had some particular weak points mm. that could result in like a fairly catastrophic mechanical failure, which would basically leave me stranded in the middle of nowhere. Were you solo? No, I drove with Dave across to the pillow zone up on the Hurley. So yeah. we did it together for just about three quarters of the way. How long did it take you? A uh, year? Probably could have. I think we did it in a day, actually. Okay. You know, which would usually take us a half an hour on a snowmobile. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. To kind of put into context as to how slow it goes. Yeah. And uh, eventually he got a snowmobile ride back to Braylorn and then continued back home. And then I camped out of that snowcat for a few days up in the Hurley. Did you have a roof tent? Rooftop tent on that yes. thing. Yeah. What a gym. Yeah, so we ended up doing the photo shoot with the snowcat around there and then parked the cat under the, the row gap, the infamous Hurley row gap, and then successfully made it to the other side of the Hurley, which was, that was kind of the grander vision for, for that snowcat. No kidding. Yeah, so it was so cool to be able to, yeah, see that thing through. And then I think I ended up driving it back around to Braylorn so I could bring it back to the dome. Yep. And then... Yeah, the geodesic I, dome, which yeah. moved from the backcountry to Braylorn. <laughs> yeah, the dome moved from the backcountry to Pemberton to Braylorn, which is now in the ocean, but at that time it was in Braylorn. And had it hanging out there for, I don't know, probably a few weeks to a month or whatever. And during that time, you came out there with the Ridge and Ace, and I brought it back to the pillow zone. Yes. And got to mob around with you a little bit, and it was which was so super fun. fun. Yes. And there's like these like tow ropes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Things, the little disc that you put <laughs> in between your legs yeah, to cruise behind it. Yeah, yeah I can palmas. tow like eight people behind that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, news for you. Tucker also lives here in Tahoe. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a guy who goes up on Mount Rose. He lives in Reno. Okay. And he busts out Tucker. Yeah. And he tows all his friends up for backcountry ski laps. Yep. And every time I see it, I'm just like, yes, this is amazing. Yeah, it's been cool seeing all the Tuckers kind of come back to life. Yeah. Yeah, because they're actually, they're very resilient machines. They're all aluminum body, and they've got a great engine in them. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's been cool seeing a lot of different people restoring them. Now they actually have a Tucker reunion in Idaho, I believe. Are you going to go? I really should. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I really should. Yeah. That's amazing. And you've kind of like, for my entire, I don't even remember when I met you. It might have been in the Monashies filming with Matchstick back in the day or something like this. But ever since I've known you, you've always had these like grandiose to unconventional and funky projects <laughs> right. going on, whether that's your sauna, or your house, or the cold pool, or the geodesic dome. Mm-hmm. What are you doing these days? Well, I've got a few different things going on. Um, firstly, I want to finish my treehouse. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's definitely a high on the priority list. I got to see this thing. Oh, it's beautiful. I yeah. think this was since I started, since I left Whistler renting a, ha- a room from you. Yeah, I mean that's that's gonna be the next guest house, the treehouse. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then as far as other unconventional projects, Chris Turpin and I have Concept Neverland okay. on Gambier Island, which is our off-grid property that now is where the geodesic dome lives. And then we've also got a yurt living on the land. And uh, so we're off-grid, so we just run on solar. And we've got a well on the property, so we use a, a solar pump to suck water out of the well and pump it all the way up to a cistern which is at the very top of the property and then that cistern then gravity feeds water down to the yurt down to the dome and we'll be irrigating the orchard and we haven't had a shower yet so we're going to get a shower finally and get a toilet and just kind of make it you know fully functioning yeah but uh it was pretty exciting putting uh, 40 apple trees on the property oh two years ago. Oh my gosh, two years ago. So they're fruiting maybe Two falls year. ago. Yeah, so I was really lucky. A friend of mine uh, works for a vineyard company. And so he let me know that um, the vineyard company he was working for, they were gonna be pulling out some apple trees and planting some grapes. So I said, hey, come on by and grab as many apple trees as you want. So I grabbed 50 apple trees and there are these high density apple trees. And so they had already been growing there for eight years. So they're already established doing their thing. Wow. And I rolled up just as they were going dormant. So they were just starting to lose their leaves. And so I scooped them out, got some landscape cloth around the roots, and then put them into a U-Haul trailer and drove them back to the coast. Amazing. <laughs> and so I brought... Like sideways or up? Uh, sideways. Okay. Yep. Yeah, just stacking 50. Then yep. 50 of them fit in there? Yeah, so being that they're high-density apple trees, they don't have a big wingspan. Or a big root system. The, the root system was about, you know, a beach ball size. Wow. Not even, actually. Probably um, like a basketball, soccer ball, maybe a little bit bigger. Okay. Yeah. So easy to replant. Yeah, totally. But it felt super weird because... The roots have obviously splayed out at that point. Yeah. And so I was kind of having to hack the roots, and it's like a pretty invasive and gnarly procedure. Yeah. And so when I transplanted them on the island, I really had no idea how well they were, if they were going to survive. I was kind of thinking a 50-50 success rate, you know, hopefully hoping that half would make it. Yeah. And so Nicole and I planted them all on the ground on the 
wettest day I had ever experienced over there. Oh my gosh. I was digging holes. And literally as I was digging the holes, water was coming up out of the ground. And then we put some, uh, some fertile or some nutrients into the hole and then plunk the tree in there, bury it. And, uh, and basically just kind of walked away after we had planted all the trees because we were soaking wet and didn't show up until the following spring and skiing just kind of took me until late April. Mm-hmm. So Turp and I rolled back that May and I remember rolling around the corner and pulling up to the orchard and all the leaves were fully um, in bloom or the, all the flowers were in bloom, all the leaves were alive and well and uh, Amazing. yeah, it was really cool. And so obviously it takes a while for the, the trees to be able to kind of reestablish their root system and really start to be able to pull in nutrients. But nonetheless, they were already starting to produce apples last year. Wow. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. What are you doing with all the apples? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to be doing some uh, apple, apple chips, apple, apple sauce, cider. sauce, apple cider. Apple pie. Apple pie. <laughs> so fun. And I'll probably just be giving away a lot of apples to neighbors as yeah. well. Yeah. But I really want to start expanding that and get into uh, pear trees, uh, plum. Get the Italian plums. Oh, okay. <sighs> if I could transplant a tree, I would give you this Italian plum tree. One of my favorite trees ever. It was producing mega wow. on Aaron's property in Portland. And I had a similar like, what do I do with all these plums? No way. Yeah, because we didn't know what type of tree it was when yeah. we event, when we got the place there. And uh, yeah, I had one summer where I was like canning, making plum jam. Yeah. Like a, it was bonkers. It was yeah. during COVID actually, and you yeah. couldn't find the cans. You couldn't find the like. Oh, jars. everybody was doing it. Yeah. yeah, everyone was doing it. Yeah. But in Portland, it's this beautiful, amazing like thing where if you have excess food, you just put it on your like front porch basically and say like free take me and like there's been times where i've been walking down like neighborhoods and you're like oh a fig and an apple and like you just score like so wow. much amazing food yeah the neighborhood thing there is quite special yeah that is really amazing yeah and it's interesting how neighborhoods or society in times of stress or challenging times like that like during world war ii and all of a sudden people started turning their front yards into gardens yeah you know so that's like that's, big there. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of a really fun passion project that's allowing me to really understand the feasibility of actually living off grid, energy wise, mm-hmm. um, water wise, food wise. Um, that was kind of the big goal that Turp and I had with that project was, you know, we felt like we were very familiar with living in the mountains, but we want to kind of test out our skills and learn some skills with being on the ocean with regards to crabbing, prawning, fishing, and uh, you can hunt for deer on the island. Mm-hmm. So, and now we're growing food. So yeah, we're just trying to, just trying something new basically. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait to visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course you should. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so nice over there. It's, it's amazing because it's only a 50 minute boat ride from the mainland. 15? 15. 15. Wow. Yeah. But you feel like you're a world away when you get there. Yeah. Because there's no cell service. And uh, yeah, you, you kind of do is, feel like you're in Neverland. It's like Eric Berger's zone too? Same island. Yeah. Just uh, opposite side of the island. Okay. Yeah. Walkable or like how far? No, I wish. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out how to make a trail. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just way faster to hop in a boat and yeah. Yeah. Cruise around. 
but it's a big island. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I always hear about his tiki bar. Oh, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that guy's incredible. He really is. He's kind of like this traveling party. <laughs> oh, well, hey, speaking of Japan, that guy pulled the ultimate move. So on my way to meet up with Unheimer, because I was right. frantically trying to find something to do, and you guys were gracious enough to welcome me. As I was in the Vancouver airport, I saw on the TV a news report from Sapporo with the town being excavated because it was getting so much snow. And I just videoed it, put it onto Instagram or Facebook or whatever, hopped in the plane, landed in Sapporo, and I couldn't sleep that night with jet lag. And I rarely ever check my Facebook messages, but Berger was like, hey, do you guys have a photographer? And we didn't. And so yeah, I woke up the next morning and he had already coordinated budget, a flight, and he was gonna be arriving within like two days. Totally. Yeah. I forgot. So that was my, yeah, we've been to Japan with him twice. Yeah. 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 So cool. So he pulled up and Berger's a DJ. <laughs> Traveling party. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So he's got tunes for every time of the day. And he just, he loves shooting photos and he's always got jokes and, and then he's also a mixologist. Yep. So, because on that trip, we were hopping in the van, driving up to the top of the path, ski tour around, and then hop in the van, drive back to the hotel. And so Berger was like mixing up drinks for us for the drive home. Too good. Yeah, yeah. And so it's been really cool. I've, uh, I've done a lot of traveling with him, and he's taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. And he was definitely a big part of, he is the reason why we ended up on Gambier, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have another project in Tofino? Yes. So Tofino's on Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, my business partner and good friend, Jimmy King. Um, we've done a couple of real estate projects in Squamish. And now we've moved into a project on in Tofino. And we're doing uh, what's proposed right now is four single-family homes with uh, four secondary dwellings. And uh, it's a rather ambitious project because mm-hmm. it's a really steep piece of property. Mm. And so initially, we were actually going to use a funicular, which is an electric trolley to get you from the bottom to the top because it was that steep. And uh, we've actually figured out a way now to do a driveway just because we thought it would be a little bit more accessible for, well, we actually kind of needed it for life safety, for fire and right. all those things. So I've been learning a lot about that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this summer I'll be spending a lot of time over there. What inspires you to dabble in all these other things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think like you, I'm, uh, I like keep my hands busy. I love working with my hands. Mm-hmm. And um, I think with regards to like those kinds of projects, I really just enjoy building. Yeah. And so, you know, in Pemberton, I started off with just building, you know, a sauna and a tree house. And I think these real estate developments are just kind of an extension of that passion. Mm-hmm. And and I guess I just really enjoy learning. Yeah. And just kind of push myself out of uh, my comfort zone. Yeah. I think that is such a good point. Like yeah. pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. Yeah. And whether it's with athletics or learning or taking on a new musical instrument or whatever yeah, it is. Exactly. Like, yeah. Build those neural pathways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been really lucky that I've been that I partnered with a couple of really amazing people that are also very passionate 
about architecture and working with the land. Mm-hmm. You know, that property has some huge old growth cedars mm. um, that are, I don't know the age exactly, but they're, um, they're massive yeah. and they're incredibly special. Yeah. And so we're really trying to work around those bigger trees. I love that. Yeah. Cause that's really going to be a part of the experience of, sure. of living on that land there. Mm-hmm. So, and it's cool cause it's just a few minutes from the beach. So when you're not working then you can go bike or drive down to the beach and go get some waves and then come back and work. And for me, that's kind of how I work best quite often is if I have just like a little bit of balance in my life. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I think that's where, how I've maintained my passion with skiing as well is not allowing it to be just all work. Mm-hmm. You know, have those days in the hill where I'll just go on my own and just play music and ski groomers, you know, and still play, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah you, you also strike me as someone like our entire friendship. I've, I don't think I've seen you get upset or like, pissed off or like you've always just had this really like mellow vibe always stoked kind of chill what's that all about what is that all about (laughs) is it your breathing is it your box breathing (laughs) i don't know yeah it's it is a i guess i'm quite thankful for it (laughs) because it really it helps during those stressful situations that quite often can come up with skiing you know especially I find with filming with a helicopter, mm. you know, you're, you're spending money and they're just loud and obnoxious. Yeah. And they're putting you into high intensity situations and places. Yeah. And the weather's not always good. And there's just a lot of moving parts between filmers, skiers, photographers, guides, and snow conditions and weather. And yeah, I think, yeah, just having that, that mentality of just kind of, letting things roll off you like water off a duck's back really helps a lot out there mm-hmm. yeah do you use a helicopter anymore i have used a helicopter yeah 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 but not really for filming so much yeah yeah um yeah like i just got asked to go ski with some people a little while ago and burger and i did a a photo shoot but mm-hmm. we're not really using them as much for the purpose that we used them for back in the day yeah or i guess you know you went to alaska last year yeah <clears throat> and in that kind of terrain myself. that's kind of ne- a necessity yeah Whereas, in a sense i mean human power it's fine yeah it works yeah there. yeah totally there's a time and a place for for both yeah for sure um but i find it around whistler which is where i've been spending most of my time the last four or five years our snowmobiles take us to all those same places that a helicopter would. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. With the new rigs. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty impressive. So I would say less time in a heli for yeah. sure. Yeah. I like that. I, I honestly, I think of them as they, they're like fast tracking you to get into these really big mountains really quickly. Oh yeah. And it makes me quite nervous. Oh yeah, it creates. Like, I don't a, love approaching the mountains that way. Oh, it's a massive disconnect. Yeah, you're going from valley bottom to the top of the mountain in five ten minutes. Yeah, and you have no idea what was going on in between that time. Totally. Yeah, whereas at least with sledding, you're on the ground the whole time, and you're on a heavy machine that um, can feel and create instabilities pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and then you're ski touring quite often to get to the top of the line. So at least you have that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's your uh, your binding situation these days? I'm on Dynafit. Yeah. Yeah. And you're using pin bindings to film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. Yeah. I haven't had any issues. No, me neither at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was on the Kingpin for five years previous to last year. I remember that. Yeah. And I couldn't so figure it out. That kind of got me. You liked that binding. Yeah, it, it worked well for me. I, tr- I never had any weird releases with it mm-hmm. or I never got locked into it. It always just came off when I needed it to. Yeah. So I think that kind of, when I got into Dynafit, I just kind of rolled in with a bit of the same mentality. It always takes a little while getting, developing that trust with totally. a new binding. Yeah. You kind of have to like crash and see if it That's exactly when it came for me last year. Yeah. I had a, I got smacked and yeah, double ejection, pull off, goggles off the whole thing, but I was totally okay. Yeah. And I was like, that's exactly what I needed. You know, I just need to know these things are going to fall off when I want them to. Yeah. Yeah. You live like a very healthy lifestyle um, with what you eat and what you ingest and, and most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We all (laughs) slip up occasionally. Yes. But what, like, as far as keeping your body, like able to do everything that you're still doing. Yeah. What's, what do you attribute that to anything? Yeah, I'd say to a number of things. I would attribute it to working out, biking, yoga, cold plunging. Um, if I'm not able to do yoga, just stretching. Mm-hmm. Um, we now have a PEMF machine at home, and that thing is actually it's super incredible. Um, if I'm on the road, a Theragun, that thing works wonders for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really just kind of this balanced package and then throughout the winter, I'm just maintaining myself with single leg squats, push-ups, sit-ups, you know, just like very simple exercises during the winter just yeah, to try to maintain. Basic. Yeah. Cause I found, and I've just started recently adopting more of that cause I found in the past I would get out of shape in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. I have this problem in Big the past. Time. This year it's not happening. Yeah, I'm over it. Yeah. Yeah, in the spring, it's just like trying to get your body back to where you were in the fall. Yeah. And so, yeah, as I get older, I just want to continue to really just get in better and better shape as I go on. You know, that's kind of my goal is to, you know, get my body kind of locked into a a healthy um, state or homeostasis that's going to keep me going into my old age. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where it's so key because we do a lot of, um, what would you call it? Like contracting type sport, you know, like all our sports, our, our muscles are very contracted, you know, yeah. you know, whether you're biking or you're skiing or you're in the gym, your muscles are always contracted. Yeah. And so I think that's where stretching and yoga is so essential to maintaining balance and keeping ourselves loose. Cause it's, you're just as easily going to get injured from being too strong or too tight. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. There's a balance. It's you want to be too flexible. That as well, right? Yeah. We've seen that with some of our friends in the past. Yeah, the yogis yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Turpin, you know, his nickname was Gumby. Right. He was crazy flexible. And, um, and yeah, he just started having yeah, issues. And I, I think that was, and I think he learned as well that he was overstretching. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I could stretch a bit more mm. consistently. Yeah. But yeah, I had like last year basically I really mapped out my season and I was like, okay, you like work out 
in the summer and fall, you're riding your bike, you're super mm-hmm. active. When I was younger, I was like, I'm biking and I'm climbing, that's full body, I'm good. Yeah. And then I was like, no, I gotta go to the gym. And then I'm like human power basically until March, usually in yeah. a typical season, yeah. where I get incredibly cardio fit, but I lose my muscle mass. And then I go into the film season and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can like run up these mountains, but I don't feel like I can stomp landings with like a ton of confidence. Yeah. Like I'm nervous. Yeah. And then, so like this year after having worked with a nutritionalist and a physical therapist and like coming off my knee injury this summer, like, all right, I gotta like be going to the gym and like doing some weightlifting mm-hmm. and, and maintaining, or like these simple rudimentary exercises that are so simple to do at your house yeah. and just maintain that muscle mass like yeah. throughout the season. Yeah. And, and that's why I also take creatine because that helps yes. you maintain that muscle. Totally. And I have so much hair. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Your hair is very long these days, it's by the so way. It's so long. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Haven't cut it since before COVID. Wow. Yeah, let amazing. her go. I like but that. I also feel like hair is its a part of you, and theres I kind of feel like it's... Those avatars were onto something. Yeah, it gives yeah. me like some extra spiritual senses. I, I totally agree, and actually there's, there's a lot of philosophy with um, the Indians that like East Indians, mm-hmm. you know, they all grow their hair out for that reason, right? Because mm. they believe there is um, extra sensory abilities that come with having long hair. Really? Yeah. And they say, because I think with a lot of people, once your hair gets to a maximum, most people have a maximum length. Mm. And they say that if you're continually cutting your hair, your hair is constantly trying to regrow and that actually takes a lot of energy. Whoa. Yeah. I feel very rested these days. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But yeah, I think getting back to overall health and wellness, the whole hot cold therapy is also a really nice one to include if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree about that. And and, and I think the hot cold therapy is really good for recovery. Yeah. But there's a point where if you're not necessarily trying to recover, but you're trying to like gain muscle mass, yeah. that maybe it's not the best tool. Mm but y'all should go listen to the Huberman podcast for that one because yes. I just listened to it like yesterday <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So but what did he say exactly? Like hot, cold therapy for yep. like, if you've like done a huge workout and you're yep. like, I need to recover. Yes. Like it's incredible. Yep. I've felt it. Yep. It's like, there's nothing like it for yep. recovering muscle mass. But if you don't necessarily need that big recovery, it doesn't necessarily, you don't need you don't hot, need cold it. therapy. No, yeah. no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the other interesting thing that I was just hearing some data on with regards to cold therapy is doing a cold plunge and then doing a strength workout. Mm. And I think this is particular for for men, but it really helps out with building testosterone, Mm. which as men get older, we start to lose our testosterone. And I think it's, from what I've heard, it's the best way to naturally increase your testosterone. Interesting. Yeah. Women need a testosterone too. Yes, for sure. I had a blood test years ago um, and they were like, wow, you like barely have any testosterone left. Okay. And your adrenals are incredibly low. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, well, it makes sense. Like if you're out there in fight or flight mode all the time, especially as a female, um, it can severely decrease your adrenals and and your testosterone. And, um, yeah, basically they were like, once your adrenals are totally tapped, you'll have health issues. Yeah. You gotta get that back on track. Yeah. And rest yeah. helps with that totally. big time. And the testosterone, they were like, well, that's your confidence. 
like oh, to yeah. put it into like terms for an athlete like yep. you need that to be on top of your line okay. and feel really confident with yourself yep. yeah yeah there's all these intricacies yep yeah yep and i agree like just maintaining your body i think as we get older like the, there's nothing like the gym agreed for that. Yep. really i yep. i like fully caved this summer and was like okay i'm all in like got the year pass i'm going to the oh, gym. good for you yeah. and it feels good i feel so much stronger that's the thing yeah yeah just like full body yeah no it is uh i'm so glad that i was taught to go to the gym mm -hmm. from a younger age and it's just kind of put that into my my regime not that i'm doing it often enough but uh it's definitely something i really love and enjoy doing yeah yeah same here i've enjoyed i've like really embraced the culture the gym i go to is across from the high school oh yeah so it's so fascinating like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like doing like i'm like watching people do the bench press and then they look at the mirror and they lift their shirt up and oh, flex nice. and i'm like that's not even related to your abs but i love it like keep it going <laughs> that's amazing it's pretty good um all right so you're working on matchstick this year and do you yeah. have any other things going on that we should know about we've covered a lot of bases yeah i guess the one other thing that's been really interesting is working with my dad mm. on this this energy saving technology that he's been working on for quite a while that's designed for industrial applications and for power plants as well and yeah it's kind of like the next chapter in my life i believe with regards to um, what i'd be doing beyond a ski career um, i think it really taps a lot of uh, my own ethical values with regards just to yeah just find ways that we can become more energy efficient mm -hmm. and um and i'm also really looking forward to just working with my dad yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, because he always wanted me to become a welder and take over his business when, when I was younger. And I decided to start skiing. And so now I think this is my next opportunity to work with him. And he's just got some really cool and interesting technologies that I'm super interested in. Very cool. And, uh, and I think the timing is definitely right for it right now. Yeah. So right now we're, uh, yeah looking into a bunch of different opportunities in different countries to bring the, the technology into. Wow. Yeah. So uh, we've got patents on quite a few different technologies right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, and ultimately going through testing right now. And then we'll be raising some money and bringing it to market and see where it takes us. So cool. Yeah. It's been super fun. I love and it's that. just been awesome because I'm on the phone with my dad almost every day now. Yes. Yeah. And so that's just been really special for both of us. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Very cool. And are you still driving your biodiesel truck? I'm driving the biodiesel truck, but it's not on bio right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, as you know, my truck's getting older and it's got a lot of electrical issues going on these oh, days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the engine and the transmission drive great, but electrically, there's a lot of. I think I've had some rodents. Well, I have had rodents get into the uh, the, the veggie oil line. Oh, no. They smelled the french fries. Oh, yeah. They chewed right through it. Oh, no. Yeah. Dang it. So, uh, kind of put that one on the, uh, the back burner for now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm driving an electric car, which, you know, we could argue whether it's better or worse, you know. It's uh, the best technology I think that we have yeah, right now. Yeah, I think it's 
hopefully going to get a lot better. Yeah. You probably learned about cobalt and how it exists in most every lithium battery and how that's... Uh, the process of mining it. And yeah, by hand, a lot of it in Africa, as I just learned. So I think we've got a long way to go mm-hmm. with regards to making our lithium batteries or whatever battery that might be in the future. Um, less energy intensive and not hopefully not all coming from rare earth minerals. Yeah. Because all the mining that goes into that is not awesome either. But, uh, but I think it's the first step of moving towards a better battery technology, which is the inevitable, you know? Yeah. Something that's going to last longer, charge faster, and, and not get as affected in the cold and whatnot. You know who I think already has this technology? Tell me. The aliens. Oh, the Lumerians. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's how they're flying around, right? They've, yeah. They've tapped into... They're UFOs. They've got like a supersonic charger in there that's exactly. just like, it runs off of itself. That's it. Yeah. I don't, we've got a lot to learn from those Lumerians. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So looking back on your career, your life, all of the in-betweens, give me something that you're just like really proud of really proud of it you know what I think I'm most proud of just where I'm at now and um, how would I put that into you know that that's a really tricky one (laughs) (laughs) Um, Parky, you really put me on the spot with this one. Some people are like, oh, yeah, I know the answer right away. Mm. And other people are like, pride. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah, it really is. Like, I'm, I'm really thankful just for um, all the amazing friendships that I've made throughout all the years. I think that's really, really incredible. Um, you know, to be here hanging out with you and mm-hmm. Cody down the street. Yeah. And we've kind of got friends like that all over the world. Yeah. And through meeting all these different people, we've learned a lot. And we've experienced a lot of different cultures. And I think that's something I want to continue to do, is just meet more and more beautiful people that I can continue to learn from, so Mm -hmm. I can continue to learn more about myself. And um, yeah, I suppose there's a lot of things to be proud of, you know, like I'm super proud of the relationship that I have with, uh, with my family and, and uh, with our environment. Not that I'm doing everything right with the environment, but I think just having a deep appreciation for our environment is something to be really proud of because there's so much magic out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's really nice to be able to tap into that. So, uh, yeah. If you think of your younger self, that was beautiful, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I like, well, through a lot of conversations with my therapist, like she'll hit me with the like, hey, give me a brag right now, like something you're proud of. Mm-hmm. And it helps me to kind of maintain, I don't know, that outlook of like celebrating these moments that, that yeah. you do in your life, no matter how big or small they are. Just yeah. like taking that with you, because I think so often we just overpass them and and don't Completely. really let them yeah. sink in. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I like to, when she hits me with that, it's usually a text message. Give me a brag. And I'm like, I'll hit you with a brag. I got right? one for you. Like, it's so cool. Yeah, Just it reminds is. yourself. Something you're proud of that you did. Yeah. Well, yeah, if we want to get braggy, like, I'm, like, proud of myself for still being a pro skier to this day. I'm proud you of you know? for that, too. Yeah. I'm proud of us for that. Right? Like, we're, <laughs> we're not, we ain't no spring chickens anymore, and we're still out here. And I think 
the biggest brag that goes along with it is still having love for it. Yeah. You know, like that is truly something special. That is never going away. No, I don't think. No, it's in I our think DNA. I, like, we passed that yeah. potential of yeah. ever not loving it. Mm-hmm. If and that I think was ever an option. So much of that going back to like celebrating these in between moments, yeah. not getting so hooked up on your performance or like no. the biggest cliff or getting so powder hungry and like no. all these things that like I've found in the past me, like the younger me, I was really like, it would it would uh, take a lot of emotional energy yeah from me when I'm like what why can't like there's no bad snow there's just yeah. bad attitudes right yeah like, yeah you got to be able to love and appreciate every aspect of yeah. it yeah yeah my first ski coach taught me that like when you get to the before your competition run like look out and just appreciate where you are yeah and I still do that yeah you know most every day even if it's icy or whatever I'll look on the horizon and you just you know, being in Worcester, I'm looking over the coast range, oh, and it's stunning up there, you know? So like, beautiful. Opens up my heart every time. Yeah. So. Tapping into nature. Yeah. And, and I think, like, I recognize that we are incredibly privileged to live in these locations where yeah. it's so e- easy to get into yes. nature. But I also, like, I take that practice into the city or wherever I am. If there's a park, yeah. I want to go and I want to sit and I want to, like, look at the trees and look at the birds and just, like, appreciate that. Because I think yeah. that going back to mental health, like, being in nature is such a big part of that yep. for me and finding that in the littlest ways mm-hmm. whether it's a leaf on the ground or Truly an ant though, and just yeah. observing the ant whatever I know, it is take like, that time yeah 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 i think that's important if, if you could uh go back like if you could tell your younger self one thing that you've learned over the years what would that be <laughs> put me on the spot again that's another good one <laughs> what did I learn so I'm gonna tell myself one thing that I did learn yeah like one thing that you could tell your younger oh, self oh just like just give yourself a heads up yeah um I think it's really important just to believe in yourself that Belief in yourself, I think, is um, quite often underrated. And, but a healthy belief in yourself, mm-hmm. you know, a belief that you can do it and that you can do anything you put your mind to. Um, I mean, I think that'll help you accomplish most anything in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you're going through injury or potentially not being a pro skier anymore, you know, having confidence in yourself that really no matter what happens to you in life, that you're going to be good. Yeah. You know, you're going to persevere and you're going to find beauty. I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much yeah, for this Parker. conversation. <laughs> what a joy. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs>